What up? What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the This Is Not That podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joanna, and I'm here with the homies. Say what's up, y'all. What's up? It's Isaiah. What do y'all? This Ralph. How y'all doing? Wait, hold on. I'm out. I'm Today's out. a special day. Yes, it is. Today is the day. Today <laughs> is Joanna's birthday. I was going to do the Kobe thing. There's no, yeah. But it was no way you could get back from the Kobe thing. You know what I mean? So happy birthday. <laughs> I know. Please don't go there. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we are recording on January 26th, a.k.a. my birthday. Um, I shouldn't be working, but here I am because, I don't know, it's a Wednesday. But thank you. I appreciate the love. I uh, appreciate all the love folks are, are sending my way, giving me text messages, hitting me up on social media. You know, I, I, I'm a, a fan of the birthday month. I don't know if that's a real thing, but like I celebrate all month. Um, so I've definitely been feeling the love this entire January. Um, Aquarius. That's awesome. But your birthday is like so close to the end of the month. Shouldn't you like be like more like closer to like, you know, February, like first couple of weeks of February, you know, last couple of weeks of January, first couple of weeks of February. I mean, I definitely wouldn't decline um, birthday celebration invitations that lead into February, you know. Yeah, but, so, but you're cheating, though. You yeah. can't take, you can't just like January 1st is uh, it's my birthday month, and then you yeah, go into February. You got to choose. We making this stuff up as we go. The rules have changed. I guess, I guess, I it's guess. It's always a, a good day if we're celebrating. And it's even a better day if we're celebrating me. Is it bad luck for <laughs> you to ask you your birthday wish? Um, I don't think it's bad luck, but um, I don't know what my exact like birthday wish is, but I definitely am feeling optimistic about year 34. Um, yeah, my 30s have been have been definitely um, impacting my growth and development. I don't know. It's been, a, it's been a wild one, right? Like when I turned, I think it was when I was 30, I got this, I got this award. Like it was my first time ever getting an award rec- being recognized like by the community. When I was 31, I got my first position as a director, 32 ran for office, 33 bought a house. So um, ready for 34. Damn, I gotta get my shit together. Everybody has their own goals. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Thank you, Joanna. Like <laughs> Thank you. You know, I you know what the most important thing I realized as someone who is like deep into the 30s is like health. That's the number one big thing, right? Your body is hurting in places that it yeah. used to hurt, and you take quality of life and health much more seriously than when you did when you was in your 20s, right? And it really makes me, all the work we're doing with healthcare, with uh, assets in action and health equity, it really makes you realize how important health is. It's, you dismiss it when you're in your 20s, you feel invincible and everything. And, you know, uh, but when you get, get around, you know, in your 30s, you start paying attention to it more. So I don't know how y'all feel about the importance of health or making it a part of your lifestyle, but... For me, that's the number one thing I've learned as I'm getting older. You really got to take your health seriously. Yeah, most certainly. Um, especially, 
I mean, health is such an individualized kind of thing too. You know, uh, it's not just physical health. It's also mental health, you know? Um, and those things kind of, uh, kind of play, kind of play off of each other a bit. And in one, one thing that I'm trying to be really conscious of personally, is just kind of like, for one micro stressors, you know, just, just things that we deal with every single day. Uh, the stresses of not being able to pay a bill or, or not having a clean environment or, or uh, lack of recreation, um, lack of doing things that you actually enjoy doing, you know, um, all those things kind of can compound, you know, with already existing issues, you know, maybe, you know, even in the city, there's a lot of just like localized environmental issues, uh, eco issues, like, like, uh, you know, uh, lead lateral, uh, removals or, uh, lead in the water and the pain or in the soil, which, which affects people over time, you know, uh, rates of cancer that are higher in some communities versus others. And it doesn't make sense other than, you know, people are living in high stress, high poverty environment, you know, environments where they're expected to just kind of make the most of it, you know? So I don't know, like, as I look at it, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like this, it's this big sphere of things almost that you need to like, kind of keep, keep track of. Um, and I think that, I mean, I'm 25 and it, I, I feel like mental health is definitely like a, something that's big on my mind um, because it, if, if you're not healthy mentally, then, then your physical health can deteriorate from that. And um, I know that, you know, recently we uh, in my graduating class of, uh, well, not just my graduating class, but some, some friends I went to high school with are all mourning um, another suicide of someone who we went to school with. We are now at, if, if we put it all together, my graduating class, graduating class ahead of me, a best friend of mine is in that class, and graduating class behind me, a best friend of mine is in that class. We have like double digits of kids who are in the ground now um, from suicide, drug overdose, all kinds of things, and they're all toasted kids. So it's like some of these health concerns, it can definitely impact like where you're where you're from and where you grew up definitely has a factor in it, but just because you know, no area is perfect. Basically. I feel like a lot of people have an illusion that, oh, well, that doesn't happen over here. All those problems are over there, but none of that stuff happens here. It's perfect over here. It's like, if that's the case, then how come I'm 25, my best friend is 26. And we have like plenty, plenty of friends who aren't around anymore. People who we knew people who are the same age as us, you know, and it affects your morale too. Cause it's like, you just wonder like, you know, they couldn't make it, you know, I don't know. It just makes you ask all these questions, you know? So yeah, health is definitely a big yeah. elephant in the room, I think for a lot of people. For sure. For sure. And you think about like the number of people of color, I would say, or older people of color that, you know, look at, at trying to at look at people that are trying to, um, you know, better their mental health. And, and that's not always welcomed, right? Like, you know, I try to talk to my moms about therapy and she's like, what does she say? She says that um, therapists and doctors are quacks. <laughs> she, uses that, she uses that word, but like, it's true, right? Like, cause that's how she was raised. It, that's how she was raised, right? So for her, it's true in a sense that like, 
you know, don't be telling all your problems to nobody. Like nobody, you know, you, you just need to deal with it and like, you know, suck it up. And um, I feel like that's definitely something that we see in, in our older black and brown people of color, like mentalities. Um, and so just like shout out to the folks that are trying to like break down those barriers, right? Like force those conversations within family, encourage them um amongst your people right like ain't nothing wrong with seeing a therapist or you know doing what you got to do to stay healthy yeah there's absolutely no shame in asking for help if if you need help get it you know uh especially if it's there for you you know there there's no there's no shame in it you know um that's all I really got to say about it. You know, yeah, no, if, I mean, if you need help, reach out. Cause there are people, there's someone out there who cares about you and would care if you're not around anymore. So. Yeah. Cause the consequences are deadly, right? That's what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just think about the, that uh, stubborn attitude that you talk about, Joanna, that, that leads into what we've seen with COVID and that's almost across generational lines, right? The, the infant misinformation misinformation and all the conspiracies and all things around vaccines and folks not taking and we've seen a real impact on deaths have coming from that misinformation and people not responding to it and not getting vaccinated so it's really important that not only do you reach out when it comes to the mental but you also take the information in from experts and be serious about your health and uh you know yeah shout out joanna to all the people that's trying to break those barriers down and break the cycle I just want to add to it's also it's also worthwhile to while you listen to experts and and etc. It's also worthwhile to definitely continue to take a kind of you know take responsibility in like in like your own uh, of your own health and kind of like make uh, make decisions that are, that are, you know, think, think through the options, think through whatever options are presented to you and pick the best one that's for you. Um, in terms of mental health, I, I do definitely feel like, uh, a lot of people, uh, when I was younger, were given, um, medications and pills as teenagers that they didn't need and they can never get off of those now, you know? Um, psych meds that they didn't need, you know, other things that they didn't need. And, uh, or maybe they had an issue that could have been resolved in some other way. Uh, sometimes there is kind of a, a, a rush, especially if you're a parent trying to fix your kid, there's a rush to just do whatever is told of you, you know, um, by a medical professional. And, you know, it, it is important to think critically about decisions, you know, basically. That's all. <laughs> That's real. Most definitely. Most definitely. It's always good to be skeptical. It's just, I guess what I'm saying, don't listen to Joe. If it's between Joe Rogan and your primary care doctor. Right. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's all. Yeah. That's, that's what I, yeah. I definitely feel you. Yeah. I definitely feel you. Um. I don't know. And I'm like, like, like in terms of that COVID conversation, um, where do you guys feel like we, we are right now in terms of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, we are still in the middle of a pandemic, you know, um, uh, within your own community, uh, and within our city, how do you, 
feel we're we're standing like where where are we right now we're, you know where do we stand with that don't we all kind of feel like they're making a lot of this shit up as as we go all right like mm-hmm. and we all like are on different wavelengths when it comes to this crisis right like some folks are like full you know sh- you know uh locked in you know not coming out of my house and you got other people who are like traveling doing out here with no boundaries and then it's a I think everybody else is somewhere in the middle trying to figure it out. You know, I know, look, I know what normal, I really still somewhat remember what normal was before COVID and this is not normal. Right. And I think, yeah, I just think we're trying to figure out what, what is, what stage are we in and like figuring out what is the best things to do, you know, like, and I think that comes from this kind of confusion comes from a lack of leadership too, you know, Mm, that part yeah we just don't have the the proper amount of leadership to really lead in this crisis um and from both a psychological social level but also economic level right like this need for people forcing people to go back to work for the machine to continue right and that's kind of like keeping folks confused right i can go to work but also you know they're telling me it's not safe right to send kids to school and, but they say it's not safe. So it's like this confusion because they just want the, the machine to get back running. So mm-hmm. I would say uh, it's we're in a period of deep confusion about where we are. And I think that is a lot of a large part of it is intentional. Mm-hmm. Well, look at that mask mandate that was just implemented or <clears throat> it's not even a mandate. It's an ordinance. Right. So like there's no. um Milwaukee implemented this mask ordinance, right? Effective January 22nd, and it goes till March 4th, March 1st. Um, so you should be wearing masks when you're indoors at any public places, right? But there is no punishment for businesses that don't implement this mask ordinance, right? So there's like, there's real no, there's really no teeth to it. It's just, hey guys, y'all should do this. You're not doing it, okay. It's just like, so that's why I say like, when, you know, back to Rafi saying like, it's a lack of leadership. I mean, well, look at these wiggly implementations that are supposed to be keeping us safe, like quotations, right? Keeping us safe. It's like, it's so vague. I, I can see why we have this spectrum of people that are, you know, living life like it's normal, you know, traveling, going out places, doing everything to people that are in the house, you know, not going anywhere, not seeing family. Because where are they? They don't even know where to look to for leadership. There's, I feel like there's no guidance. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, some of the guidance or rhetoric that is coming from leaders um, or elected officials, particularly, can sometimes be uh, tainted uh, by, frankly, their own kind of perceptions and prejudices. Um, I I find it very curious that. Uh, when you're talking about COVID, a lot of, uh, especially when you're talking about Republican elected officials in Wisconsin, um, uh, when you're talking about COVID, you know, they feel that, you know, if they don't want to get a vaccine and there's penalties against them for that, then that's a form of, or, or regulations or whatever rules that have to be followed for in, in relation to that, then that's a form of discrimination. Um, when the lockdowns are happening, people, 
uh, felt that their rights are being violated, their civil rights are being violated, their constitutional rights. But these very same people are completely okay with things like mass stop and frisk as long as it's not in their community or, um, or other things that, you know, they may not feel like it's discrimination or profiling, but everyone else feels like it is, you know? So it, it's just kind of curious what is considered discrimination and um, profiling or whatever word you want to use and what people are willing to live with. And you're seeing a lot of that kind of manifest with this ongoing public safety uh, conversation in the state of Wisconsin. Um, it, it, it feels sometimes as if there are a lot of, there are, you know, elected officials, particularly um, on, uh, on the GOP side that really see law enforcement itself as almost more important than eating, eating food or drinking water. You know, uh, there's a lot of uh, bills uh, that just passed the or that that just passed and went through the assembly right now that deal with all kinds of things involving law enforcement. Um, some of them are grants to hire more police recruits. Some of them are uh, lifting prohibitions on using billboards to advertise for Department of Corrections positions. Uh, some of them, one of them was the anti-riot bill that uh, even Americans for Prosperity, which is a Koch brothers lobbying group, conservative Koch brothers lobbying group, registered against. They said, look, you 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 may be well-intentioned with this bill, but it's going to infringe on people's people's rights and in a very biased and partisan kind of way because it, you know, it's it's very vague and it presents an issue where if you have a protest and there's say 30 people and one person pushes another person or throws something, then everyone can catch felonies for that. And it creates a chilling effect. You know, it, it's it's highly intriguing to see a major push for that kind of stuff, you know, a major push. Let's, let's put as many cops on the street as possible. Let's give them all the funding, all the equipment that they could ever ask for, even though a lot of municipalities, police and law enforcement are already half of the local budget. Uh, but then conversely, they don't want to fund things like, you know, the prosecutor's office, even, you know, uh, or the public defender's office, you know, uh, one factor that went into the uh, the incident in in uh, Waukesha, uh, where uh, Darrell Brooks was uh, released on a thousand dollars bail, part of that was linked to under understaffing issues and and how prosecutors and the DA's office are overburdened. But I don't hear any any of the uh, any of these same elected officials calling for more funding for actual like boots on the ground police. I don't hear any of them calling for, hey, let's better fund the DA's office so that when we put more people in jail, uh, uh, then they can work through the system quicker so that it doesn't get bogged down. Um, there's like a disconnect, you know? Uh, Let me ask you a question, uh, Isaiah, real quick. Yeah. Why don't they look at alternatives to policing, right? It's not like it's, it's not organizations out there offering an alternative vision of what that will look like, right? I mean, we know, we have seen over time after time after time that adding more police isn't the, isn't the most effective way, right? And it's people are, it's for the longest, I mean, 
for at least the last five decades, people have been talking about how you can have alternatives to this policing, right? This wrapping up of policing every time it's a rising crime and how you can get to the root of the problems is the most important thing, the social economic causes of uh, public safety, right? Why do we keep avoiding that conversation and we just fall right back into the cycle of more policing? I got my theories about it, but I'm, I'm interested to hear what, like, what do y'all think about that? Like, why do we always end up here? Like, we got amnesia as a people where we're like, we, we've been here before. We know the consequences of what we're about to do, but yet we're about to do it again, right? Yeah, I think it's a, I think there's a multitude of factors that play into it. Um, and I think that, I think there's a multitude of factors that play into it. And I think that sometimes uh, the influences of an individual elected official may shift from person to person, you know, uh, why they're actually pushing or what perceptions they may have. But at the end of the day, uh, there's a few things that are readily apparent to me. Uh, I honestly do. Well, first off, we have to look at this in the context that we're in Milwaukee. Um, and that's one of the most, we're in one of the most segregated cities in the country. Uh, we can drop where I'm a five or 10 minute drive from the, from the nation's most incarcerated zip code. Um, and, uh, we, I I've had friends who grew up in the area, move away and come back and really have their eyes open to the fact that that's a reality, especially if they're friends from the suburbs, because, I feel like there's a lot of people who really don't understand the lack of services that really do exist in a lot of these communities that have nothing to do with police. You can put, you can increase the police force by three times. That's not going to fix the, the, the trash cleanup. That's not going to fix the uh, lack of street lights. You know, that that's not going to fix the housing issues. That's not going to split, uh, fix all the ways that those things are exploited for profit by people, you know, in the city. So I think that there, part of it is there are people who are truly cut off from the realities of what, of what people in these neat little segregated zones are experiencing. So they're kind of coming at, coming at it from their own perspective. You know, well, they have nice parks, they have this, they have that. Uh, they don't need any more of those things. They don't need more programs for the kids. What they need is more cops. When they don't really realize that, no, those things are not there in the first place. Okay. And, and it, and, and there's a lot of other tertiary factors that lead into influencing people's behavior and stress level and stuff. So I think part of it is just a, a, a just the nature of segregation. Um, you close each other off from people's experiences and thus people are, un, are unable to empathize with one another, you know, and, and really uh, see a, uh, a way out. Some of it is probably by design. Um, the top Republican in the state of Wisconsin, Robin Voss, uh, uh, mentioned something very interesting to me the other day. I didn't know. So they were at the time they were talking about a bill would revocate people on probation and parole if they commit, if they're charged with a new crime, not convicted, you know, if they're charged with, with, with something or whatnot, or an accusation is made, then they'll just go instantly back to prison. And that bill had a, uh, had a cost estimate to it that was so high, mainly because in order to make it happen, they would literally have to build a new prison to house all those people, you know? On top of that, they're trying to make the bell of the bail laws stricter and stuff. And Robin Voss 
had a moment where he said, you know, a lot of you may know, but, you know, uh, I own a factory that for a lot of years has been um, uh, uh, a part of a program where we have prisoners work in my factory, you know. So some of it is is is, is by design. It, you know, I, I don't have to spell out how the top Republican in, in, in the state pushing for all these kinds of bills that are going to keep people locked up, keep them locked up longer, uh, also owns a fact that uses prison labor, you know. Uh, and I don't care if those people are, are out on probation or whatnot. They're still part of the system. They're not free from the criminal justice system. They haven't been able to move on with their lives, you know, and you're profiting off of that while also sitting in a, in, in a gerrymandered elected seat, frankly. So, it, you know, I, I, I think that there's layers to it. I think that some of it no, is these I, I, like I, I, unconscious I, biases and some of it is completely by design. And some of it is just, you know, behind closed doors. Some people might, they just don't like those people over there, you know, and they're afraid of them. And if they could build a wall around the north side and just keep them all in there, they would, you know, it and then it just gets thrown into this pot, you know, together. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. Go ahead, John. I got a question afterwards. No, I just yeah, I like was just going to agree with Isaiah, like a lot of this stuff is just set up by design, right? Like I know previously we've talked a lot about like um having an imagination and creativity around public safety right and it's like it's not like this stuff doesn't exist already right like what is it um denver and albuquerque they've already created these emergency response units that can send out um folks that aren't armed with weapons um and like to, to non nonviolent situations, right? And like they have the numbers that show, right? Like that, that there is less need for law enforcement. Um, and it doesn't like, you know, like for the folks that are all freaking out up in arms, it doesn't like eliminate law enforcement, but it like cuts down the need for law enforcement, which should be our ultimate goal, right? Like you think about when police show up, right? Like they show up after the fact they are not preventing anything right like they show up after somebody was robbed after somebody was attacked after somebody was killed and it's like so like what are they really preventing um and so it's it's wild to me how people think that safety means law enforcement knowing that they come after the fact right like we call 911 after something happens and so they're there to just clean up the mess and and that's barely and that's barely right like they barely do anything to clean up the mess and so, I, you know, I just, I, you can't help but, but believe that this stuff is set up by design. Like they're intentionally creating this stuff for, damn, that's wild to hear Voss say that, right? Like he basically said that he wants prisons and people locked up so that he could get like, what, cheap labor? I mean, I mean that's he, basically what that statement's saying. Well, I mean, like it, it seemed like he, it seemed like what it was, was he, that he, you know, he knew he was going to advocate for a bill that's going to lock people up. So he probably thought it would probably behoove him to mention or acknowledge the fact that, hey, I do own a factory that uses that is has been a part of a factory where we've used thousands of prisoners uh, and, and like had yeah. them work in the factory. Um, and, you know, yeah. And, you know, people get outraged about like we can't abolish this or, or get rid of law enforcement because like what about folks that are like you know, committing rape or, or murder or something like that, right? But it's just like, think about the number of people that do do those like vile crimes, and they don't even get caught, right? Like, 
there is like a, a high percentage of these people that are doing things like that, that, and, and they're not wrapped up in this system. Um, and so mm-hmm. yeah. what are we doing? What are we doing now with this law, with this abundance of law enforcement? Like, what are we doing now to prevent that stuff? It, you know, it's still not fixing the problem. I think this is something that we all complicit in too. And I know it's the, the elected officials hold a, a different responsibility because they are elected to actually go at this issues. But this is, it was this book written, I forgot, I think early 2000s called Locking Up Our Own. And it was about how the, the crime bill of the 90s, how the black misleadership class, the black elite were part of the ones who were pushing for the crime bill as a reaction to the war on drugs, right? And crack being pumped into the black community while also seeing deindustrialization, which was forcing people into this underground economy. And then the reaction to that was the war on drugs. And then to that was the crime bill of the 90s. And it, it came internally from the community. And if you knock on a door and you talk to folks about uh, what issues they uh, care about and they want to see change their community, the first thing they tell you is safe. And when you ask them what you'd like to see done, they say more police. They say more police. And it is this react, reactionary fear. And that's a real fear-driven politic, right? Like, and, and it plays on people's uh, fear. And that's, I think that's a, such a deep emotional thing, whether, you know, you make people feel everything is life or death, but it's just like what you said though, Joanna, it's police is there after something happens, right? And we have like made this turn when it comes to health to understand we need to do more prevention, right? Do preventative care for one, getting to the critical part. And I think so much of our conversation when it comes to crime, we never talk about getting to the stage of being preventative. All the things we could do on the front end, right? The economic things, right? Making sure people have good paying jobs, right? For they have a turn to black markets that will lead you into right. violence, right? Right. You know, like, why don't we have that conversation? And why, I wish we were, was another emotion that we can elicit when we're talking to people to get them out of that conditioning of fear around uh, public safety, where they can embrace a vision of public safety that is forward-facing and preventative rather than reactionary. And I feel like we're in this reactionary loop that happens all the time, and not just at a governmental level, but at a grassroots level. And that's what the scary part about it is. For me, it's like, usually the dumb shit comes from up top, but the, the grassroots have a real common sense around it. Here is just like, I really feel like the grassroots are aligned with the people that we talk about who are uh, who will benefit from it, benefit from this, this current system. And uh, it's just been a, one of my biggest frustrations that it hasn't, this, these uh, preventative measures to crime haven't seeped into the grassroots. And um, some of that sometimes might be a, uh, a uh, lack of new ideas in the conversation, you know, new voices um, in Milwaukee, especially like there's a lot of people who have been a part of the grassroots uh, community for, for a long time. Um, and I mean, even with, it, it, it kind of, remi- you know, it's like, like sometimes, you know, I talk to my grandparents about this kind of stuff and they're, they're very, you know, it, it, you're only going to go so far, you know, uh, talking to someone who their only notion, they're the, the only way that they think things can get better is by force or by, you know, punitive measures or 
kind of, you know, making people afraid to step out of line, you know, um, it, you know, part of it is, is, you know, not, you know, there, there aren't enough new ideas kind of being injected into the conversation. And then when they are, they're uh, not used. I was listening to one of the mayor's candidates, uh, the uh, candidates running for Milwaukee mayor, who's a business person, Michael Sampson. And he, and to his credit, he mentioned that, look, you know, we had a blueprint for, for a piece that we didn't follow. You know, we, we had a pandemic plan dating back to 2007 that we didn't follow, you know, so we invest money in these things uh, in like these plans, but then we don't want to fund it to actually implement it. You know, uh, it just falls back to this other, uh, just these old strategies, which are just kind of political buzzwords to get people elected. Um, Part of it too is what you mentioned earlier is that amnesia. You know, um, there's a lot, especially you know, like the, especially from the uh, from the Republican side of the aisle. There's a lot of focus on Kenosha. There's a lot of focus on 2020, in regards to the whole, uh, to the defund the police uh, conversation, uh, as if funding issues and staffing issues for police didn't exist before 2020. You know. I remember when I was nine years old calling the police who were literally a block down the street, their station was a block down the street and our house had gotten broken into and it took them two and a half hours to show up. And then when they did, they didn't write anything down. They didn't ask us questions. They just walked through the house and left, you know, and we never found out if they caught those people or whatever. These are issues that have existed for a very long time. Protests in 2020 didn't trigger this. So part of it is people, people's amnesia is being exploited and their emotional centers are being pounded, you know, uh, with with all these buzzwords and stuff. I mean, like Joe Sanfilippo, who uh, pushed that probation bill that I that I just mentioned. He's a big tougher on crime elected official. He also called not too long ago for the National Guard to come to Milwaukee and just station on the north. I don't know what's what what do you expect soldiers to do? You know, uh, I mean, sure, they're there and, and you might think that people are afraid to act out now or whatever, but are they going to investigate crimes? Are they going to be searching people? Do they know how to behave as police? Do they know how to investigate these things? Do they know how to serve a community in that way? Or is it just, just this punitive thing, you know, that is impossible not to notice? You know, you know, you're going to notice a soldier staying on your street, but they're not, they're not, they're not fixing all, all of the needs of the community. Um, I think that a lot of the things that Milwaukee is dealing with right now, um, you know, such as uh, a lot of the car theft and catalytic converters and this and that. A lot of that stuff is crimes of poverty. A lot of that stuff is making people uh, is people making choices uh, to to survive, to get money. Um, and frankly, not all of those people, but a lot of them, if they had a better option, you know, uh, to make money, a family sustaining job, they would take that option, you know. Uh, and now there's a boogeyman about the, uh, you know, like they're making the so-called Kia boys a, uh, a uh, boogie, you know, just like the new boogeyman. You know, there's this cabal of young black people in Milwaukee all organized together to steal cars. Um, could it also just be young people who feel that they, they don't have anything else 
to do and they have a lot of energy, you know, and they're following their peers and making bad decisions as young people sometimes do. You know, if you gave them something else to do, gave them something else to focus on and, and et cetera, then maybe they wouldn't be out here taking the cars, you know, taking catalytic converters and scrapping the money for three or $400 or whatever it is, you know, uh, it's intriguing. Um, that was the heart of my question yeah. because I, I think at the root of it is this inability and outright corruption of wanting to invest in people, right? Mm -hmm. Like this whole right ideology of corrupt ideology of not wanting to invest or use government money and give it to people, right? Like they stigmatize it, like make it like some welfare program, but they have no problem sending it up to their banker friends or something like that, mm -hmm. right? Right. This inability for us like at the same time you defund schools, knowing how important education is, right? And how that leads to, how they can lead to issues, right? So it's like, we are battling this deep, deep embedded ideology within our country, state, city, localities of both um, the neoconservatism or neo-confederacy and neoliberalism, right? Like we're dealing with all that and this, this market-based solution to everything and any direct investment from the government to people would seem like a handout, right? And now we're seeing the consequences of it. And they, I think deep down, a lot of these folks know like investment, real investment, intentional investment can solve a lot of these issues, but it, it goes against everything that they believe in. So they say, oh, let's go straight to the punitive thing. That doesn't work, mm -hmm. right? But it, it makes it gives everybody some type of satisfaction to have, see an officer, makes people feel safe in the physical, even though like Joanna talked about earlier, it's, it happens after the crime has happened, right? And we're still dealing with the fallout from the war on drugs and the crime bill and all the folks that were locked up all the folks who are lost opportunity because of that, all the broken families that came from that, right? Right. And now we're about to start this whole process all over again. And it's coming from neo-colonial figures like Eric Adams in New York. And there's a, that's a Black man that's about to re-implement a lot of these uh, stop and frisk things. And if we're not careful, we're going to have that same stuff happen here in Milwaukee. You know, it's going to be just a black or a brown or a woman face pit to it if we're not careful, you know. So we got to take this real serious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a perception thing, too. Like, like I said, I think, you know, like I've had people, you know, I, I got stopped when I was in high school. I got stopped over 20 times in a single summer vacation by Tosa PD and just walking around in my, my own business being race out of place. And I had people who I went to school with who would look me dead in my face and I thought, and they were my friends, but they would tell me, I think you're making all that up because that doesn't happen to me. You're not from here. You didn't grow up here. I did. And I've never seen anything like that. So there's a lot of people I've never experienced anything like that. So there's a lot of people who just have zero concept of, I guess, the other side of policing, if you can call it that, you know, being on the other side of it, you know, their, their only experience is seeing the cop drive down the street, smile and wave at them. And then if they call them, they, they show up and they help them. And that is there. And they might even have a cop in the family. That is their experience. They don't have any concept of what it's like to actually get stopped and frisked. They don't know what it's like to have a, a cop plant something on you or threaten you or, 
or or uh, even the issue of what really amount to gangs within various police departments, little cliques that go out at night and, and do all kinds of things to people. People think people in the suburbs think that stuff is fairy tales or they've never heard of it before. So part of it is just that's okay. absent from their experience. Another part of it, too, is this is why people say Black Lives Matter, frankly, is because people's lives are worth are worth something. And there's a lot of people who who look at people who aren't even convicted of a crime, who aren't even who just look suspicious or whatever. Uh, or maybe they have been convicted of a crime and they and, and like they served some time for a felony and now they're going to get out. You know, they they see that as a throwaway person. You know, uh, when you listen to the Democrats and the Republicans debate on the assembly and Senate floor, you know, the Democrats. And, I, and I'm kind of speaking in, in, in broad strokes, particularly I'm thinking of like Lena Taylor, David Bowen, uh, Lakeisha Myers, and even David Crowley. They mentioned like, look, we have a large percentage of our incarcerated population, which is going to come home soon. That is a you can't keep them locked up forever. You can't. You, and, and while they're locked up, you can't shove more people in into their cells. All right. So why don't we prepare them to be? part of the workforce when they get out, you know, uh, that's a huge workforce that's going to get out and need services and, and they're willing to work a lot of them. But unfortunately, on the other side of the aisle, there's a lot of people who just don't see it that way. You know, they see it as these are people who need to be locked up in cages and they come from communities that frankly need to be zoned off and we need to just throw boots on the ground at them until it just one day just magically becomes safe enough to where businesses can 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 come and stuff like that. That's that's their idea. So right. And I yeah. think everybody talks about it when it's like a good it's an opportunity. sometimes for these folks are talking about it when it's an opportunity for them, right? Like I don't know, like just thinking of everything you just said, Isaiah, like I can remember, you know, a time that I was driving past Milwaukee County Jail and I was with a friend, right? This white woman. And I don't even know how the conversation got there. This was a few years ago, but she mentioned like, oh, you know, the county jail where all the bad people are. That's what she said, right? right? And I'm like, what? I'm like, how can you say something like that? I've been in there. I've been locked up in Milwaukee County Jail. I was like, am I a bad person? And she was speechless. She didn't know what to say, right? And so it's because like, this, like you like broke her brain. Like, exactly, right? Logic bomb, and then, you know, broke you her list, brain. You all these, right? And then you're listing all these legislators. I mean, right. When I ran for the state assembly, I mean, Lena Taylor shared my mugshot on Facebook trying to say that I wasn't good for the community. <laughs> like, Whoa. it's just, it becomes an opportunity when folks like want to use this as an opportunity to make themselves look good. But like, what are we really doing to address this problem? Mm-hmm. No, I, it, it just, you know, and, and, and then there are people who are like, you know, they and I and I get where they're coming from. You know, it's like, look, if 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 we don't work with that other side, quote unquote, the other side of the aisle, um, if we don't work with the other side of the aisle, uh, we're not going to get anything done um, just because of the way the legislature is set up, the assembly seats, et cetera. It's just the reality of the game that is being played. Um it's sad to even call it a game because these are people's lives, you know, and 
once again, it's being closed off from people's experiences. You know, if, 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 if you're not there to see what people are actually dealing with day to day, then it's probably easy for you to just kind of to do your best to just zone off that area, you know? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a, it, it's a crazy cycle that just kind of goes on and on and on. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, it, it's, it's curious to me that there's all this talk about, Hey, let's, let's, let's put more cops on the street to arrest people. Let's put more corrections officers in the jails to keep them in there and, and, and watch them. Let's make more things illegal. The things that are already illegal, let's make it more illegal. Uh, but we also don't want to fund lawyers, whether they're prosecutors or def- or uh, public defenders. You know, we we uh, we uh, we don't want to fund the lawyer like that part of the criminal justice system that that deals with the backlog and gets these people through the system. You know, uh, the disconnects are incredible. Um, and like I said, sometimes it's by design. Uh, sometimes it's just ignorance and or people's personal experiences or lack thereof and and sometimes you can have conversations with those people and find some middle ground and maybe get something done but um i'm not sure i haven't seen it yeah you know. i think that's a a good segue for us to kind of set up that uh what's happening this weekend with the mayoral form and what's the stakes yeah well i think we definitely laid out the stakes right like what's been going on but <laughs> You know, if anything, this is an opportunity for us to push the conversation to make sure that it's being had. And I think that we're doing that now. You know, we're going to do it this Saturday. We got a um, Citizen Action is holding hosting a Milwaukee mayoral forum so that we can ask these questions. Right. Because, you know, as we know that the mayor of Milwaukee tends to hold the seat for decades. And if we don't bring this stuff up, they're not going to talk about it. Why would they bring it up, right? And so if we can just use this opportunity to, like, have the conversation, and I think that's what we're doing. Nice. And, I mean, uh, do you – so with that – so would, would that form be specifically with uh, the acting mayor right now, or would it be with all the candidates? Yeah, so we invited um, acting mayor Cavalier Johnson – uh, Milwaukee Alderwoman Marina Dimitrievich, State Senator Lena Taylor, and um, Milwaukee County Sheriff Arnell Lucas. And they've all agreed to show up. So they should be there this Saturday morning, 9 a.m. on Zoom. Um, we got the link floating around on Facebook and on our website. Make sure y'all RSVP to show up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you don't hear the question that you want asked, make sure you put it in the chat, right? Like throw that stuff in the chat and make these candidates answer you we got to hold them accountable and so i think yeah that's what we're trying to do i know there are a few other candidates in the race um but those are the only four that we've invited to be part of this conversation so show up yeah Yeah, we'll have to look forward to that forum happy birthday to To you happy birthday to you Happy birthday, Happy birthday to you. To you. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for another great episode. We'll see y'all next time. Thanks for listening in. Peace. 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 What up?